So before I went into youth ministry, my background is so short. So right out of college, I had my first full-time job at a nonprofit. And I was really loving it. And I loved working with the clients. And I was making friends. I was going out to lunch with them. I was even invited to their birthday parties and their baby showers on the weekend. Then it was about four to five months that I was working there. And the agency had a diversity-wide training. So what they did is they brought everybody into a big amphitheater. And it was all the staff, all the employees, and all the volunteers. So there was about 200 of us. And so the moderator would stand on the stage, and she had a list of categories. And if you fit into that category, you would come in the stage, on the stage, and you would face the audience, and the moderator would ask you questions, and you would share your experience. So when I came down, when she said, if you are Hispanic or Latina, or Latin, I came down, and they asked me questions, and the crowd was warm, and they were smiling at me, and they were, like, nodding their heads. So then she was almost with her list, and she looked at her list, and she said, there's one left. There's one category left. But I am sure in this crowd of educated people and enlightened people that no one would believe such an archaic belief system. But she said, I'm going to read it anyway just for laughs. So she said, if you believe in God, if you call yourself a Christian, or a Catholic, please come down. So I got up from my seat, and I walked all the way down, and I stood and faced the crowd, and I was the only one on the stage. And I couldn't believe the difference in the people's faces. Whereas before they were warm and inviting, I looked at them now, and they were scowling at me. They were glaring. They looked angry. How could I believe in a God? And I just stood there as um, a young adult thinking, wow, I've never experienced this hostility before um, due to my faith. And so needless to say, that turned me into social suicide. So people were professional to me, but they were no longer friendly. They were no longer warm. So they stopped inviting me to lunch. They stopped inviting me to um, their parties and so one day, I was sitting alone at my desk eating my lunch, and one of my coworkers, I could tell she was nervous, and she kept looking around to, see, to make sure nobody saw her approach me, the social pariah. And so she came to me, and she said, I want to talk to you, but not here. So she started leading me further and further away from the offices. And as I started walking behind her, a thought came into my mind, and I thought, Oh, no. Is today the day I might meet Jesus? Because I had read Fox Books of Martyrs. And I thought, oh, no. And she had a bag over her shoulder. And I thought, oh, no. But I still followed her. And I followed her, and we kept going further and further away from everybody and cameras. And we go into this room, and she opens the room and ushers me in, and she locks the door. And we sit down. And she said things, something that I'll never forget. And we're going to come back to that story. But what was, for us as Western Christians, for most of us, there are exceptions, but for most of us, we don't risk our life for following Jesus. For most of us, that's not the cost that we pay. We don't pay for it with our life. 
But that's what was happening in the early church. So Jesus had died. He had risen from the grave. Pentecost had come. The Holy Spirit was in people, and their church was booming. Their church was going forth, and it was growing and multiplying. But the problem was there was persecution. So these young believers had to decide, is following Jesus worth my life? Is following Jesus worth my life? And some of them said, no, no. And they walked away. And so Peter wrote this to this body, to these new Christians, and he said, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Following Jesus is worth it, even at the very cost of your life. It's worth it. And for us, the world calls at us. The world calls at us and keeps us sometimes from fully engaging as a disciple of Jesus. The world calls at us for power and fame and money and the pleasures of the world. And we have to make that decision. Is it worth following Jesus? Is it worth being a true disciple of Jesus? And so we're going to look at, so today we're going to break down this text. We're going to look at 1 Peter 1, and we're going to look at just 3 to 7. So pull out your pew Bibles if you put them away, or pull out your Bible and follow along, underline, star it, and we're going to break down this passage. And it all begins with God. It all begins with God. It begins with the creator of the universe who decided that he wants to be in a relationship with us, that he loves us, he values us, he wants to be with us, he wants us to know him, and he wants to know us. But sin has separated us from him. Because he is a holy God, he can't be in relationship with sin. But because he loves us so much, he sent and sacrificed his very own son so that his son would take the penalty of our sins. But it all begins with God. And it's the free gift that he offers through his grace and mercy. He offers it to us. We can't earn it. We can't bargain for it. We can't justify it. It's all free that he freely gives to us. And he says, this is my gift of salvation. We can't earn it or anything. So praise be to God. It's all about him. It starts with him. And in his great mercy has given us new birth into living hope. Hope. We as people, we need hope, right? It's been said that human beings can go four weeks without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, and four seconds without hope. Because we can't live, we we can endure anything if we had some hope. There's been a lot of study on the effects of the Holocaust, and specifically in the concentration camps. And what was the difference why some people were able to endure atrocities and still come out on the other side? And while some people, and whereas some people just gave up, almost as immediately as they entered the concentration camp, their spirits and their bodies just gave up and died. 
And the reason is hope. If they believe that the allies are winning, then they could hold on a little longer because we're going to be rescued. We can endure anything because we're going to be rescued. And so they had hope. But on the flip side, if the Germans were winning and they felt that the Germans were going to win the war and this was all there was to life, they would literally give up and die. And the hope that we have in Jesus is so much greater than that. The hope we have is breathing, it's living, it's alive. And it courses through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the hope that we have that even though there are broken things in our life, that God promises that he will redeem the brokenness. He will make good out of our bad. And it's the living hope that we have that I can trust my future to a sovereign God because I know that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And that is the hope that we have. It's amazing, it's breathing and it's alive and it propels us through difficult circumstances. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Last year, Sam and I, we missed Easter. (laughs) We felt we missed Easter because we got COVID a few days before Easter. And so we missed Monday, Thursday. We missed Good Friday. We missed Easter morning. We missed the Easter lunch that we we usually host for our family. And so because we were both sick, my neighbor was really helping and bringing us groceries and dropping them off for us. And so she shared with me what she told her husband, or what her husband said when she told him that we were sick. And her husband, you have to know, is a self-proclaimed atheist. And we found out that we were sick. He said, oh no, they're missing Easter? That's their holiday. <laughs> That's their holiday. That's the... That's their faith, and they're missing their holiday. And he felt so bad for us. And the good news, people, on the second Sunday of Easter season is we are the Easter people. We are the resurrection people because the resurrection changes everything. Think about that Friday when Jesus was laying on there, dying on the cross. Where were the majority of the male disciples? Where were they? They were hiding. They were afraid. They were worried about their lives. They knew that if they were identified with Jesus, that their life was in danger as well. But then what happens later? The resurrection changes everything. Fueled by the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, they boldly and proudly proclaim the good news at risk to their own bodies. And in fact, all of them but one suffered a martyr's death. So what was the difference between hiding and willingly giving up their life? It was the resurrection. The resurrection is our foundation of our faith. It's the good news. It's the good news that breaks off the chains of sin that keep us bound. It's the good news that it breaks down the power of death. The resurrection changes everything. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 
So I don't know if some of you maybe have already received inheritances by family members that have already passed on. So my inheritance from my grandma's and Sam's grandma are um, jewelry. I got jewelry, and I got a lot of Christmas decorations. (laughs) A lot of Christmas decorations. Thanks, grandma's. (laughs) But sometimes... Sometimes, right, people fight for different things, right? People, family members, fight for that coveted item, that property. But why do we hold on to something that is going to perish? It's going to perish. It's going to rust and it's going to fade. And what Jesus has for us is so much greater, so much greater. Nobody can take it away from us. So why do we hold on to things that have no eternal value? Instead, let's invest in things for eternity. And that's people. That's bringing as many people to the foot of the cross so that they could be in heaven with us. In one of my last church jobs, I met this young man, and I was interviewing him for a volunteer position. And he shared with me his story. And he said, Anna Marie, he was about like 25, and he said, I did everything right. I did everything that society and my culture told me to do. I sacrificed my time, I sacrificed my energy, and I got that elusive admittance to an Ivy League school. And I graduated, and I got the great job, and I bought the house. And I bought the car of my dreams. And I'm still empty. I'm empty. Is this all there is to life? And it wasn't until he started volunteering with me. It wasn't until he started to disciple these kids and to mentor them and to encourage them to be followers of Jesus every single day of their life. And it wasn't until he invested in them, his time, his emotions, and also his finances. He gave so that they could go on mission trips, and he gave them scholarships for camps and retreats. And it was only until he did that that he said, I finally feel fulfilled. I finally feel satisfaction. I finally feel joy. Because he was investing in things that could not be taken away from him. So why do we hold so tightly on the things that will fade away? Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is revealed in the last time. Shielded by God's power. What does that mean? For some of us, we like it to mean protection from hard things. But because we live in a broken, sinful world, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about that we'll be protected from war, or violence, or our car breaking down, or cancer, or painful breakups. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about that God is protecting our very soul to him. And that's why millions of Christians throughout generations have been willing to give their life for the cause of Christ because they say, you can take away my things, you can take away my stuff, you can even take away my body, but you can't take away my soul because it's been bought by the blood of Christ and it's not yours. So have my body. 
because I belong to Jesus and God is protecting my soul to him. That's beautiful. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Church, we need to look at trials differently. Sometimes we look at trials as, when is this trial going to be over? Right? We kind of white-knuckle it, and we say, okay, let me just clench my fist, and this trial, maybe it won't last this long. But instead, let's look at these trials with different eyes. Let's look at these trials and say, God, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to change me because of this trial? Now, I personally have never seen um, gold refined by fire, but I know the process. The process is the dross, and all the junk is being burned off so that the gold could be in its pure state. What if God wants to burn off you greed, selfishness, pride, apathy? What if God wants to burn those things off so we can look more and more like him? So instead of looking at the trial and saying, go away, trial, let's look at this trial and say, God, what am I going to learn? How am I going to be refined in your image? So let's go back to that room with my coworker. So we're back in that room and I'm nervously looking at this bag that is at her feet, worrying if there's some scary metal thing that might harm me. And she said the words to me that I'll never forget. She said, I hear you're a Christian. I said, yeah, pretty much everybody knows I'm a Christian by now. And she said, I want you to promise me something. I want you to promise that you will never pray for me. And I looked at her and I said, I've never been asked that before. And she said, I used to be a Christian. I used to know God. But I decided to walk away from him because I wanted to live my life in a way that is contrary to the Bible. But I know in his power, and I know if you were to pray for me, that I would be convicted and I would come back to God. But I'm not ready. So you have to pray that you won't pray for me because I am having too much fun in sin. And so I have to say that I said I, I couldn't do that and I would pray for her. I didn't know what happened to her because she left pretty soon after. But my, my trust and my hope is that she, like the prodigal son, has, have come back to God. But you know what? As I was listening to her story, I was sad. I was sad that she chose to walk away from her faith. But I also had respect because she knew the cost of following Jesus. And if we're honest, some of us put one foot in the world and engage in the things of the world and surround ourselves in the things 
that are against God and do our own thing and live our own way for our own pleasure and we have a one toe in the things of God. And God is saying to us, I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you, my child. Once you let go of these things that are temporary, and why don't you join me in this journey that I have for you that will be fulfilling? Because the good news, church, is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, is the same power that lives in you. It's the same power that convicts us of our sins, and it's the same power that comforts us in our trials. It's the same power. And it's alive and living. And we have an inheritance that will be never taken away from us. So church, my encouragement to you is let's go of the things that have no eternal value. And let's pursue together being full disciples of Jesus. Because it's all due to the praise and glory of his name. Amen? Amen.